As a free, not-for-profit service, Cradio requires the support of people like you to help keep us going in our mission. To donate, visit cradio.org.au slash donate. Cradio. The following presentation is brought to you by Perusia Media. Please listen at the end for more information about the many fine products available from Perusia Media. is incredible. When you say yes to God, God can have awesome power in your life. How do you know what God's will is for your life? I mean, how do you know that you're doing what God has called you to do, what he created you to do? What is your purpose for being here? What about the power of prayer? How do we know that prayer actually works? Even in times of tribulation, even in times of pain, even in times of suffering, how do we know that God is listening to us in and through a life of prayer? How do we know that we're forgiven? Are we willing to break ourselves open and pour ourselves out in love for the purpose of healing and forgiveness in the same way that our Lord Jesus Christ broke himself open and poured himself out in love for us on the cross. Well, I hope that by sharing my story, that these three things, discerning God's will, the power of prayer, and the power of healing and forgiveness will inspire you to trust God totally and completely in your own life. Well, some of you may not realize, but I was actually born in Barbados in the West Indies, in the Caribbean. Uh, if you were to look at a map, you'd see uh, in the Caribbean, uh, Barbados is located in a chain of islands called the Lesser Antilles. And Barbados is the biggest island in that chain. It's the island furthest to the east and not too far from Trinidad and Tobago, and uh, not too far from Venezuela. Uh, my uh, father uh, was a pagan, you know, unbaptized. My mom was actually a convert to the Catholic faith. Uh, she was a, a trained as a nurse in England, and, uh, and Barbados actually was a British colony back in those days. And she went to nursing school in England and came back to Barbados and uh, where, uh, where I was born. Also, my brother uh, under me, uh, who's a year younger than I am, was also born in Barbados as well. My other brother and sister were born in the United States. We uh, lived in Barbados uh, until I was about almost three years old. And then uh, we moved to the United States. My father did not come with us uh, at the time that we came. And there's a wonderful photo uh, that was in the newspaper in Barbados of my mom. And uh, I, she was holding my hat as a little guy, my little, my little suit, my little hat. And she was holding my brother in her arms. And then her mom, my grandmother, 
came with my mom and us when we moved to the United States. Uh, my mom, as I mentioned, is a convert to the Catholic faith. Uh, she came into the church when she was about 16 years old. And that's actually an interesting story. Um, she told me, uh, when I asked her, well, how did you come into the Catholic church? Because she was Methodist. And uh, she went to uh, the parochial school um, with some other uh, friends of hers. And they grew up pretty poor back in those days in the, in the 30s and early 40s. And um, she was telling me that uh, there was a girl in her class who was, you know, just seemed happy and just seemed joyful. And my mom was like, well, why are you so happy? Because we're all poor, <laughs> you know. And she goes, well, you know, I have my, my faith. And my mom said, what kind of faith is that? And the little girl said that, that she was Catholic. And so my mom said, well, whatever that is, I want some of that. <laughs> so so uh, she ended up going to church uh, with this with this uh, little girl and her family. And my mom says, she remembers, she told me the first time she walked into a Catholic church that, uh, you know, she looked up and, you know, you know, the Catholic church had the high ceilings and uh, the beauty, everything pointing, you know, toward heaven, pointing toward God, orienting ourselves toward uh, toward heaven. And she goes, wow, I really feel that God is here. And then she said when mass started, of course, back then it was the. Uh, exclusively the extraordinary form of the Mass, which is in Latin. She goes, oh, now I know God is here because they're speaking another language, <laughs> which I thought was a cute little story. But, uh, but my mommy came to the church when she was about, uh, that was, she was about 16 years old. And in fact, um, this uh, crucifix that I wear, uh, you'll notice that I have a miraculous medal. Well, this is actually my mom's miraculous medal. Uh, that she was given when she came into the church. Uh, obviously, she didn't have to be uh, rebaptized, but she, when we, she got confirmation in, in First Communion, she got the miraculous medal. And I wear it next to the crucifix because uh, just like uh, uh, in the crucifixion, you know, Mary was close to her son. And this is a reminder that, that, uh, that I'm close to my mom as well. She's, she remains close to me. Right, so that, that's a wonderful reminder uh, of the connection between you know family and our faith. You know, I'm the first baptized Catholic in the history of our families. I just mentioned my mom was a convert, but I'm the first. I'm the oldest child of her union with my dad, and so therefore I am the first baptized uh, Catholic in our family. So we come to the United States, and my mom. Uh, and for the first couple of years, I went to private school, but then we quickly transitioned into Catholic school. And I grew up in Hillside, New Jersey, which is uh, just uh, which is one of the t towns right next to Newark. Uh, but I t typically people ask me from I say Newark because obviously when you're someplace that people may not recognize, you usually use the the, the nearest big city. You know, because people that people will recognize the name, that kind of a thing. You know, we all do that. So. Uh, so uh, I'm from uh, from Hillside, New Jersey, grew up in Christ the King Parish there in Hillside. And one of the things that my mom noticed about me, she says, even early on, was when I was a, a kid and she would take us to Mass that I would pay attention. I would like be focused on what was going on at the altar, you know, and she noticed that. And, and that's actually an important point for parents, you know, um, we often, 
look at our kids and we say, oh, I wonder what they're going to be when they grow up. You look at what their interests are. You look at maybe what they're good at. You look at what they gravitate towards. But how much do we really pay attention when it comes to the faith life of our children? You know, uh, I had a very wonderful surprise uh, not too long ago uh, when we were doing, uh, we were watching The Sound of Music as a family. And, you know, the opening shot and, you know, she's, turning around, Julie Andrews is spinning around, and then she here's, here's the bell, and she runs back toward the convent. And um, my uh, daughter, uh, Angela, was with me when we were watching it. She was sitting next to me. And, uh, and just as a joke, as a complete joke, I said, hey, you ever thought about becoming a nun? And she actually said, well, yeah. And I was like, well, <laughs> you know, and it's like one of those moments like, well, I need to, I need to start paying more attention to this, you know, and, I, and I've come to find out that she has a very beautiful heart for for service, and uh, and is very excited, and, and is, is really involved in a lot of service uh, ministries uh, in the church, which she actually seeks out herself, you know, because she's she's actually living this this Eucharistic faith that my wife Colleen and I try to nurture in our own family. You know, she's taking it to heart, and she's actually living out. All of our kids really um, have that kind of heart. Uh, for for helping other people, and, and it's just a beautiful thing to see. So uh, so we grew up in a parish. Hillside became an altar server. My mom asked me, uh, "Would you think you want to serve mass?" And I said, "Yes." And you know, I, I and I remember I loved being on the altar, and I was like serious. You know, I, I, my mom said, "You never smile when you're up there. You never smile." And I remember. I remember that, but I remember thinking, this is serious. You know, I'm like with the priest and, you know, we got to we got to do everything right. And, you know, I got to make sure I know it. I ring the bells at the right time. I was just I loved being up there and I knew that that was something I was attracted to and thought that at that point I might have a vocation to the priesthood. Um, I remember uh, uh, having a, a talk with one of the priests at the parish there about this very thing. I remember talking to him, I, I think I might be interested in being a priest, but I like girls, you know, so what, I know the priest can't get married, so what do you do about that? And it was one of the most unhelpful conversations I've ever had with a priest, quite frankly. It was, I was very, very disappointed um, by uh, really his lack of uh, attention and his lack of real enthusiasm for what I was saying. Uh, so I end up going to uh, St. Benedict's preparatory school in, in Newark, New Jersey, run by Benedictine monks. And the connection between the, the Benedictines in my parish is that when I first started serving Mass, there was a priest, Father Theodore, uh, who used to do the, because I, when, you know, when you're a new altar server, they gave me the earliest Mass on Sunday, which is 7, at that point was 7.30 in our parish. So I had 7.30 Mass, and I would uh, serve with this priest. And he wasn't part of the parish, but he would just come in on Sundays and do this, this 7.30 Mass. And so when I got to high school and I saw him in his, but I never saw him in his monastic habit, he would just come in clerics to the parish. But when I saw him in his habit, I said, Father Theodore, you remember me? He's looking at me like, well, I'm not sure. I used to serve Mass for you at Christ the King, you know, the 7.30 Mass. And you used to, you're, you live here? He said, well, yeah, I'm a monk. And I was just intrigued that Wow, he lives here with these guys, you know. And I remember my freshman year during high school, we used to have a convocation where the school would meet together. It was an all-boys school. We used to meet together in the morning before we started classes. I remember one uh, day the abbot got up and um, mentioned 
that if there was any young men here that are interested in possibly seeing what our life is like as Benedictines, we'd like to welcome you to, you know, come to dinner with us in prayer and, and talk more about it. I remember immediately thinking, yes, I want to do that. And I remember that same day talking about that with a, a classmate of mine in one of the classes. And one of the monks overheard our conversation and introduced himself to me and then brought me to the, the novice master uh, at the time, Father, who was Father Albert at the time. And, and we arranged for me to come to dinner and then the Vespers. And, you know, then I spent a day there, like on a Saturday. Then I came for a weekend. And, you know, by the time I was a senior, I was living in the monastery a week, you know, 10 days, two weeks at a time, you know, spending lots of time there during the summer. You know, so uh, I was very grateful for that experience because that really fostered and nurtured within me a real love for prayer, a love for devotions like adoration. Uh, I'm very, very grateful for those wonderful high school years. Now, another reason why I was grateful for uh, being part of that monastic life was, uh, you know, our home life. When my father finally decided to come to the United States, our home life wasn't necessarily the, the greatest. I mean, my father, um, he loved three things in his life. He loved womanizing, he loved alcohol, and he loved cigarettes. Now, any one of those things in themselves would be bad enough, but, you know, we had the trifecta. So, uh, you know, my, as it turns out, we learned... Uh, over the years that my father had a number of affairs with other women, both before, during, and after his marriage to my mother. Uh, he has at least 15 other children besides the four of us uh, that he had with my mom that we know of. Uh, and the reason I know that is because a number of them have been reaching out to me and to my uh, siblings on Facebook and they're telling us there's probably more of us out there. So, uh, and then, uh, you know, the, the alcohol thing, you know, uh, one of the reasons why I don't drink is because, not because I have anything against alcohol itself, I'm not an alcoholic or anything like that, but, but when you see the effects of that kind of thing in your, in your home, growing, by, I, growing up, I decided just to stay away from it. Um, you know, there's uh, a, a, just a lot of... Um, embarrassing, unfortunate, painful things uh, that happen when, when you have these kinds of uh, occurrences happen um, when you're growing up. So I, I never really saw what a good marriage looked like. And because of uh, my, my father's a very popular singer uh, and musician and spent a lot of time uh, away from home perfecting his craft and um, and uh, so when you're a young boy or even a young girl, but, but particularly here, I'm talking about young boys now, um, you always want to try to find a father figure in your life. Uh, sadly, many young men turn to gangs or turn to uh, other young men who are polluted. Their minds and their hearts are polluted by the culture and they are drawn into that. You know, so for my mom, she she wanted to find you know, not gang, street gangs, but good gangs for, for us to be part of. And I did. I joined some good gangs, Boy Scouts, for example. And our scoutmaster, 
was a man that I came to have a tremendous amount of respect for uh, over the years, uh, Dr. Alan H. Taub. And um, I loved him. You know, he was a wonderful influence uh, for me. He really helped me to develop uh, wonderful uh, study habits and uh, a love for railroading. And uh, I, I just really uh, love that guy. Uh, my wrestling coach, you know, um, Mike DiPiano and his wife, Karen, and the way they just really, really cared, not just about me, but about all the members of the wrestling team and all the, the, the guys that are part of St. Benedict's family, very important influence in my life. And also the monks themselves, the, Bened the Benedictines there were just, uh, just wonderful men, wonderful role models for me as a young man. And it was during that time I was trying to discern what God wanted me to do. I thought for sure he might wa want me to become a monk. Because I remember this, again, the desire I had when I was a child, and then these wonderful experiences all my four years in high school, living in the monastery, you know, uh, looking at their life. Uh, and I remember then going off to college. I'm the first person in my family ever to go to college, and I was blessed to be able to attend the University of Notre Dame. And so, and it, again, the Benedictines, there was uh, Father Mark Payne, who was one of the monks there, my physics teacher, who went to Notre Dame and who uh, chose several uh, of us that he thought would be a good fit for, 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 uh, for Notre Dame. So he drove us out there uh, and we saw the place and, and uh, you know, I had some other choices, Columbia University. And, and so I, I said, you know, I'm going go to gonna go to Notre Dame. So went away to school for four years, had a a uh, wonderful uh, experience there. Again, just discerning what God wanted me to do, what he's going to do with my life. Of course, I, the monastery thing went uh, on and off. You know, I had a girlfriend uh, during that time. And, uh, you know, it's just it was a, a great time. But it was also a time, uh, you know, coming under the influence of some poor theology as well. You know, so all of those things is kind of like churning and discerning. But I, I, I but I never stopped going to mass. You know, I still attended mass regularly and um, and all of that and still felt um, close to Christ, even though there were certain things that that um, that I was doing that didn't necessarily show that, uh, you know, during those college years. But I never walked away from the faith or I never abandoned my faith in Jesus Christ. And I remember one of the people that really helped me was my uh, rector, you know, a, a typical uh, of holy of schools run by the Congregation of Holy Cross. In the residence hall situation, you typically have a priest or a religious that lives in the residence halls with the students. And my rector was uh, Father Pat Sullivan. And he was someone that I that over the years, my time at ND, I would talk with him about a possible vocation. And and he was very good. Uh, to talk to. And so after I graduated from ND, I stayed there for another year and worked for the police department. I actually interned in the police department my sophomore, junior, and senior year. I worked full time for the department after graduation and then went back to Newark and, and joined the Benedictines. Uh, and, you know, quite frankly, I was, very, I was very happy there in the monastery. I really enjoyed my, my time with them. And, you know, I, I went there with the intention of not leaving. You know, I figured it was just a natural progression. You know, I had this desire as a child. 
you know, which was fostered and nurtured by my mom, which is which is an important point, by the way. You know, when, when I talk to seminarians today and I don't know how this could be possible, but this is what they tell me. And I said, well, you know, uh, when you were discerning a possible call to the priest before you came to the seminary, uh, what were, what, who were the, the detractors? Who were the ones who, you know, discouraged you uh, from wanting to be a priest? And a lot of them tell me it was their parents. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. The parents are the ones that's supposed to be encouraging you for vocations, but not, not trying to turn you away. But they have never really tell me that a lot of them say it was their parents. And that's an important point. We're trying to discern God's will. Again, it's God's will, not your will. You know, and the thing is, you got to understand what makes us truly free. What really calls us and helps shape us to be the person that God created us to be is when our will, our wants, our needs, our desires, our hopes and our dreams are in communion with the will of God. When those two things are in communion, your will and God's will, then you can be truly free to be the person who God created you to be. That's why these young men are in formation or even young women in the convent or, you know, are discerning, you know, they're discerning what God's will is for them. That should be fostered and encouraged by parents, even though it may not be what you want. It's about what God wants. It's about what, how God wants to use your son or your daughter to glorify him. So please pay attention to that and recognize that, yes, maybe you want grandchildren and maybe you want this, but maybe God has a better plan. Maybe God has a greater plan. And this is a sacrifice you have to make so that God's will can truly be done. I, you know, I think it's important to say that. So uh, when I entered the monastery now, uh, with regard to my parents, my mom, of course, oh, she was thrilled. Oh, my son, the monk, the priest is very happy. My father, not so much. Um, by this time, my parents had gotten divorced. They got divorced my junior year uh, at Notre Dame. And uh, in fact, uh, I, I didn't go home uh, for that summer, for most of that summer. I, I stayed uh, uh, in college. I stayed at Notre Dame that, that summer. I actually came home right at the end for about... 10 days before going back for my senior year. And I remember we had moved from Hillside to Orange. My father was living in Newark. My mother had uh, bought a home in Orange, New Jersey. So when I went to this new house, it just, in fact, it never, in, in, in the time that I lived there, it, I, it never felt like home. Uh, it never felt like that was the place where we belong. Uh, it didn't feel like our family. You know, uh, it's, it's just very painful. And, you know, young people ask me all the time, you know, uh, what's it like to be a child of divorce? And uh, I, I tell them, I tell them the truth. I say, you know, marriage is a great thing. It really is. But it's also the cross. And divorce is when the parents put the cross down and the kids pick it up. So that's what it feels like. All four of us reacted and responded differently to the divorce. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But from, from my own experience, though, it was, very, it was very painful. I didn't like, I mean, it was good in the sense that the craziness, um, you know, was no longer an issue. But, but being in that new house just didn't feel like our family. Uh, but when I joined the monastery, you know, as my mom was happy, but 
My, my dad was not, and that was the beginning of a, a long period of, of estrangement uh, from him. Our, our, our conversation went something like this uh, when I went to see him and tell him I was joining a monastery. You're going to do what? You are the first person in our family to go to college. You get an economics and business degree from Notre Dame. He used to like to tell all his friends, my son went to Notre Dame. And now you're going to waste your life living with a bunch of men? What's wrong with you? What am I supposed to tell my friends? I, could I told him what he could tell his friends. <laughs> and then we didn't speak for 18 years. As far as I was concerned, he was dead. In fact, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but it's a fact that I didn't care if I would never would have seen him again. Uh, and in fact, even told my kids that he was dead. Uh, so, and I thought, I, I mean, I, and I remember when I, uh, when I left the monastery and the reason I left the monastery was, uh, you know, my mom had a massive heart attack and almost died. Uh, I remember when I got the news, my siblings came to the monastery. We went to um, mass together as a family. The monks prayed for our family. And then I, I, I got to leave, you know, uh, to, to, to leave the monastery. I got uh, permission to leave to be able to take care of my mother because I'm the oldest. My brothers weren't in a position to be able to take care of her. And my sister was still in high school. So I, I had to... Um, you know, kind of manage the house and help my mom convalesce and help my sister and all that stuff. And um, uh, it was during that time that I went uh, to a wedding of some Notre Dame friends of mine. I met the woman at that wedding that would end up being my wife. Uh, so, I mean, it was interesting because I, I, uh, she wanted to go on a date after we got back from the wedding. And I told her that I'm going back to the monastery. <laughs> I'm not interested in dating, you know, and uh, but anyway, um, when I tried to go back, the monks uh, asked, you know, say, why don't you stay out a little longer? So my mom wasn't fully convalesced. And they said, you know, if you're going to be here, you need to be here. You can't split your time between here and your home, which I totally understood. And so they asked me to stay out longer. And um, and then I did go on a date. And, well, I didn't go back to the monastery. But and I, but I often thought for years, though, why did God give me that desire? for monastic life. Why did he put me in a monastery just to take me out to be with this wonderful, amazing, beautiful woman? Well, you know, because as I mentioned, God works in his time. <laughs> God's timing is always perfect. God was looking, you know, I, you know, when we live our life, you know, it's like a book. God is the author of the book. He wrote the book. He knows the beginning, the middle, and the end. We only live one page at a time. We know what came before. We don't know what's coming next. God, as the author, could see 20 years into the future and knew that that monastic foundation, that rootedness in prayer, in the liturgy of the hours, in the devotions, in adoration, that that is exactly what I need to be able to do the work that he's called me to do now. Very important, because sometimes you need to look back before you can look forward. So uh, after uh, leaving the monastery, I started dating uh, my, the woman who ended up being my wife. 
Um, I'm at home now, living in our at home, working. And um, uh, then my, well, she's my girlfriend at the time, decided she is going to go to graduate school out in California. We're living in New Jersey. I was living in New Jersey. She was living in Connecticut at the time. So she goes out there and I stay because I'm working as a, as a, a undercover operative and I, I'm doing, I'm working on a, a drug case and I just can't up and leave. You know, that, that can't happen. So uh, it was a, a time of discernment, you know, what am I gonna do? And I act, actually end up going out to California uh, to discern even more there. Uh, but one thing I just wanna mention before I take a little break here is that uh, before I left to go out west, my mom asked me to pray for my father. And I'm one of the only times I can remember ever looking my mother in the face and telling her no. Uh, and she said, like any good mom, I don't think you heard me. Uh, I, the only thing I'm asking you to do is pray for your father. And I said, okay, whatever. You know, so I w- prayed for him, but just not, didn't really mean it. Uh, but, you know, and I mentioned that because when we get back, I'm going to continue the story. And, you'll, and as you'll see, as we progress here, that the power of prayer uh, is absolutely critical uh, to evangelization and to conversion. But more about my story and the power of God's love uh, in a minute. And so after moving out west, out to California, my wife is studying clinical psychology at Santa Clara University. And I'm actually living at Woodside Priory. Uh, Woodside Priory uh, is uh, in Portola Valley, California. They run a school there, uh, run, again, run by Benedictine monks. And I was there to really discern. Um, I was quite frankly afraid to get married. Uh, and I thought, you know, well, maybe God is really calling me to go back to the monastery, you know. And so uh, during my time there, I wasn't there to join that particular community, but I was there to discern. Does God want me to be married? Or does God want me to go back to, to Newark? And, uh, you know, I, I, I enjoy my time there with the monks. I, I received spiritual direction, spent tons of time in adoration, and really trying to figure out what God wanted me to do. Now, initially, I thought uh, when I first went there that God would call me to go back uh, to monastic life. And uh, but over the time and and during my time there in real serious prayerful discernment, uh, you know, I uh, I came to understand that God wanted me to be married. I said, well, okay, Lord, uh, you know, I'm going to do what you want, although I still don't understand what the monastery thing was about. But, you know, I'll I'll do what you want. And and so uh, my wife and I uh, were married and she finished graduate school and we uh, we were married in Oregon we came back down to California, she finished school, and then we moved back to Oregon. And uh, it was there that we joined uh, Immaculate Heart Catholic Church in, in Portland. And uh, we, you know, we, were, we felt very much at home in the parish, and, and uh, we, were our, we were at our first Easter Vigil Mass, I remember. Well, I'm standing there with my wife, and during the Gloria, you know, the, the lights come on and the bells are ringing. You know, it's Easter Vigil, you know, and, and, uh, uh, and as the Gloria, as we're singing the Gloria, and I, know this sounds, <laughs> I know this sounds strange, but I heard some, a voice from behind me say, Deacon. And I 
turned to my left and there was no, no one there. And I turned to my right and my wife was singing. I said, well, I wasn't there. And so I turned around and there were people like a couple pews behind us. But I'm like, well, that was interesting, you know, but I know I heard someone say Deacon, but I don't know if they were talking to me or talking to someone else, but that stuck with me through the rest of mass. So after mass, I went to my pastor, Father Nicholas, and I said, uh, Father, um, you know, is there someone here who's a deacon? And he looks at me, he goes, oh, you'd be a great deacon. And I said, Father, I said, I said, what are you talking about? I said, I can't be a deacon because I'm married. You see, I only knew about transitional deacons. You know, those men who were going on to be priests. I'd actually never even saw a, pers- a, 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 a permanent deacon in my life. He goes, no, no, permanent deacon. I said, what are you talking about, Father? So he went into the sacristy, had a copy of the documents of Vatican II. He turns to Lumen Gentium. And there's a paragraph there on the diaconate. It says, at the lower end of the hierarchy are deacons. And it goes on to explain what deacons are, what deacons do. And as soon as I read that, I said, oh, my goodness, that's exactly what God wants me to do. It was like a wave just hit me, a wave of peace, a wave of calm, a wave of revelation. She said, this is it. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I remember I was so excited. I called the, the diocese, um, but it was Easter Monday, so they, the diocese was closed. But I called the archdiocese on Tuesday, and they picked the phone, archdiocese of Portland, and I said, I'm supposed to be a deacon. And they said, okay, great. Uh, what's your name? You know, that's, it was kind of funny. But uh, and so, you know, I, they sent the application. I filled it all out. Now, I was accepted into the program, but they had no, no class, no cohort that year. So I had to wait another year for the next class. And um, and so I, I did that and I was taking some ministry uh, certificate, ministry formation programs to kind of get myself ready uh, for the academic part of the diaconal training. Because in, in our diocese, you had a master's degree in, in theology. So I was preparing myself for that, jumped into the diaconate program. I was 30 years old when I was accepted, 31 years old when I started the program, went through for five years and was... Um, uh, ordained at at, uh, at 36 years old. Now, during the formation process, the di- the archdiocese used at that time the University of Dallas, and uh, we had great professors. Father Mitch Paqua, uh, who many people know from EWTN, he was actually my scripture professor in graduate school. Uh, Marcelino D'Ambrosio, Dr. Marcelino D'Ambrosio, uh, or Dr. Italy, as he's known as now, uh, taught us historical theology. Uh, introduction to spirituality, uh, liturgy and sacraments, um, fundamental theology. I mean, we had a ton of course. I mean, you know, we had um, uh, Dr. Uh, Ruff, I remember, for Christian anthropology. Mark Brumley, who's the president of Ignatius Press, taught us our class on, on John Paul II. Uh, we just had some wonderful, wonderful uh, professor. It was, a, it was a great, great experience. And I mentioned that because that's going to be relevant uh, to the story here very shortly. And so, um, so I'm now I'm ordained a deacon and I'm thinking, you know, this is great. You know, I'm, I'm married. Uh, I'm a deacon. I'm doing what God wants me to do. And so I'm thinking now, I still feel that something is missing and I don't understand what that is. 
because I did everything faithfully that God asked me to do. I mean, I, 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 got, I, I discerned a call to be married, and I, and I did that. And I discerned a call to the accident, and I've done that. What else is there? <laughs> you know? And so I said, but I felt, you know how you feel when um, you leave your house and you're looking to see if you have your keys? You think something is missing? That's how I felt. Uh, so whenever I feel that way, I, I, I go to adoration. And so I go to Eucharistic adoration. And I remember kneeling there, looking at Jesus in the monstrance and saying to myself, okay, Lord, um, I don't know what this feeling is, uh, but if there's something else you need me to do, uh, you know, I'll do it. You know, I'm a, I'm a clean slate. Draw all over me. And then I remember getting scared <laughs> because I was saying, I was like, okay, I basically just gave God permission to use me any way that he wants. And of course, you don't know what that's going to look like. So, so anyway, uh, uh, shortly after that, I was asked to give a talk in a parish. There were a group of us uh, in the class who would exchange our papers. We were like research assistants for some of the professors, and we'd exchange our graduate school papers. And uh, a friend of mine, Carl Olson, who is the uh, editor uh, of uh, Catholic World Report, who was a classmate of mine in grad school, he asked me to give a talk in the parish uh, that he was going to at the time. And so I went and gave a talk, and then the priest asked me to, to come back and give another talk. And then the second time I was there, someone from the Catholic radio station was there. And so they said, hey, you should do something for us on the radio. And I said, the radio? I said, I don't know anything about radio. And what, what do you mean do something on the radio? Go, oh, just come talk to us. And so I went to KBVM, which is a Catholic radio station in Portland, KBVM, Blessed Virgin Mary. And I talked to them about, you know, whatever this radio thing is they wanted me to do. So I ended up doing a little show, 30-minute show once a week, pre-taped, uh, called Faith and Life. And all I tried to do was connect people between the faith that they have in their head and how to live that faith out in their everyday life. That's all. Just no, no, no big deal. So I'm doing that show for just about a year. And then Jerry Usher, who uh, is the president now of Vocation Boom and also Third Millennium Media, he was working uh, at Catholic Answers for the time. In fact, he was one of the founders of the show Catholic Answers Live. He came to the radio station to help them with their uh, what they call share which they raise money to help keep the station going. He heard one of my little Faith and Life shows and invited me to be on Catholic Answers Live. And I'm saying, like, look, who, I'm nobody. I can't be on no show like that. Catholic Answers Live? Me? No, I can't do that. He goes, no, 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 it'll be great. He goes, the show that I heard you were talking about men and male spirituality. Why don't you talk about that? I said, well, okay. So I do the, the Catholic Answers Live show. And lo and behold, it airs on EWTN radio. And Father Mitch Pacwa, who was my scripture professor in graduate school, heard the broadcast. And he calls me up and he says, how come you're on Jerry's show and you're not on mine? I said, uh, don't know, Father Mitch, because by that time he had left teaching at the University of Dallas and went to work at EWTN full time. And he hosts the, the live show, EWTN Live. So he asked me to be on the live show. So I said, well, OK, this would be a great opportunity. My sister and my mom were living in Alabama. You know, the EWTN studios are located in Alabama. I thought this is great. I get to see Father Mitch. I get to see the EWTN facilities. I get to see my sister and my mom. 
you know, this is great. And I thought I'd go down there. So I go, I went down there. I did the show. And I saw my sister, my mom. And I said, oh, this is great. I go back home and get back to my life. And when I went to check my email, I saw that my email was slammed. I was getting emails from Nigeria, from Malta, from the Philippines, from different places throughout the United States reacting to what I was saying about men on the live show. And I'm like, well, what is this? What did I say? You know, I don't understand what this is. And so I went to my spiritual director and he says, well, I think it means that God is going to do something. <laughs> so, so I get a call not too long, not too long after that from EWTN asking me if I would consider doing a series. He said, could you take what you did with Father Mitch and turn it into 13 episodes? And I said, yeah, I think I could do that. And so, uh, so I, I did the first series called Behold the Man. And then I did a second series on the family, then a third series on the diaconate, then a fourth series. You know, and, and so because of that, you know, I was getting invited to speak all these places. This was never a part of anything I decided to do. I never thought of myself as a speaker. I never thought of myself as an evangelist. I never thought, I mean, I thought I'd be a husband, father, and then work in a parish as a deacon. Never occurred to me, never even thought that God would be calling me to do more than this. So by this time, I was now working as the director of public safety at the University of Portland. I'm in charge of the safety, security, police services, all that. I'm, I'm part of the Western Association of Campus Law Enforcement Administrators. The governor of Oregon has appointed me to the Department of the Board of the Department of Public Safety Standards and Training, which oversees the training of all police officers, firemen, uh, parole and probation, corrections officers, and private security officers for the state of Oregon. So I, I got this great job. I'm doing this consulting stuff. I'm part of this organization. I'm, I'm doing my thing. And then I noticed how the, the, the speaking for the, the theology and evangelization and parish missions and conferences, all this stuff is, seems to be growing, and I'm not even trying. So I, I got to a point where I started, I wonder if God is saying anything to me here. I wonder if this is something I need to pay attention to. Uh, and then, you know, as I was thinking about that, God kind of forced my hand. He said, oh, I think I want you to do more than just think about it. Um, and so he created a situation where there were changes being made uh, in the university where I was working. And at the same time that these changes were being made, uh, I was also trying to discern, you know, how much of the speaking and the other things that God wanted me to do. And so I went, I remember going back and talking with my wife and, and say, hey, hon, I think I'm not sure what's going on here, but I think God might be calling me to do something with the speaking and the writing and all. And she goes, you know, and she, of course, panicked because, you know, I was making a very, very good salary, uh, work at the university. We had benefits and, and uh, you know, we, we got, uh, we still had kids and we got, they're all in Catholic school and what do we, get? we got a mortgage and how could you think of leaving your job? And I said, well, I'm not, I, I, I'm just trying to discern what God wants here, you know? And she goes, what God wants you to do is stay at that job. That's what he wants, you know? So, we, so she wasn't very enthusiastic about, the, the possibility of me leaving. But I said, you know, I, I have to take this seriously. So so we um, so what I did was I said, OK, well, let me see if this is even realistic. Uh, so I did several things. I, I you know tried to run numbers and run a budget to see if this is something that could be sustained to even manage, be able to help to, to pay the bills and manage our family life. Uh, I talked to people that were important to me in my life, people that I loved, people that know me very well. Uh, several guys from my wedding party uh, I spoke to about this. 
uh, I went to obviously was going to adoration and praying. I mean, every indication, every single indication told me that I need to leave the job and do the speaking and, and work in my apostolate full time for the Lord. But I was scared. I was scared to let go of the security. I was scared to let go of the money. <laughs> I was scared to let go because, you know, because I, I, I got to trust God here. I remember talking to one of my friends and he said, you're scared, aren't you? I said, yeah, I'm scared. He goes, you, you feel like you're staying on the edge of the cliff. And I said, yes. And I thought he was going to say, well, pull back and reassess. And he said, jump off. <laughs> you know, God will build your wings on the way down. Beautiful. So I even talked to a Protestant minister who told me I should leave and do this full time. We, we, need, we need more people like you out here bringing the message. So I'm like, OK. So, uh, you know, things again, my situation at work was changing. Uh, so God was even indicating it, but I was still scared. So here's what made the difference. When I finally did have to make a decision, I went out to dinner with my wife. We looked at everything again. Now, the year before she was saying, you know, you're not going to leave, that kind of thing. But now a year later, after looking at everything, after discerning, you know, we're at dinner. And she says, you know, hon, uh, you know, God is in charge of finances, you know, not the university. And she says that, um, you know, I really think that God is calling you to do this. And then she said, we should do it. Not you should do it. We should do it. And at that moment, I knew that no matter what happened, that she would be with me to love me and support me and that we're in this together. And that gave me the confidence to finally to let go, to trust God and to say, OK, God, I'm going to do this. And I remember writing the resignation letter and turning it in and feeling completely at peace about the whole thing. And then, of course, still feeling a little nervous because when that pay, that paycheck stops, you know, you know, we still have obligations, responsibilities for our family. And so we did that. Uh, I let go and, and trusted God. And, and I'm not going to stand here and tell you it's been easy because it hasn't been. Uh, there's been mostly struggles financially. Uh, there's been uh, some difficult moments. But I tell you what. God's blessing has never been greater for our family. Here's what I mean. Like when my wife and I were thinking about this, we planned, you know, we looked at the budget, we planned for this and planned for that. But here's what we didn't plan for. In the time since I left my job, I've never felt closer to my wife. I've never been more in love with my wife since the time that I started working in the Lord's Vineyard full time. I've never felt closer or more engaged with my children than I have since I left and started working full time. That was something that we didn't plan for. And guess what? In the years since that's happened, we're able to pay the mortgage and the bills. And the kids are still in school and God's been able to take care of us. Has it always been easy? No, but we trust God. And I've never been more happy and fulfilled in my entire life than I have been since I've been working in the Lord's vineyard. It's been a beautiful thing. And God has brought some other beautiful things in my life as well. The power of healing and forgiveness. And I want to uh, just kind of wrap things up in the last several minutes here with just telling you two stories that I think will bring this home for you. Uh, first of all, my dad. 
you know, uh, like I said, there was a, a long period of time, 18 years that we didn't, uh, that we didn't speak. And uh, what changed it was when my, my first series on EW10 started airing, Behold the Man, about male spirituality, it started airing internationally, including my home country of Barbados. So my relatives called my dad and said, isn't that your son on TV? My son? And so he watches. He starts watching the this, this series. So he wants to watch it the next time. And now this is going on. I have no idea this is going on. He wants to watch the series the next time, but he gets the time wrong. And instead of watching me, he's watching Mother Angelica. So, and he's like, and she's like pulling him in, the things that she's saying. He's like, who is it? And so through this whole experience, that started, the, again, planting the seeds of faith of evangelization in the life of my dad. So a year later, my dad calls me out of the blue, completely shocks me. Uh, and starts talking to me about Jesus. I was actually driving home from work. The phone rings. I don't recognize the number. I answer it. Son? Pop? And I remember almost feel like I was going to crash the car. I pulled over to the side of the road, and, and he's telling me about Jesus. And, and, and once I got off the phone, I was angry. <laughs> I remember the phone said 3112, 31 minutes and 12 seconds. And I remember feeling angry. I said, who does he think that he is? To call me after all these years and talk to me about Jesus. I'm the one who's on EWTN. I'm the one who's been traveling around. I'm the one. He doesn't know Jesus. I know Jesus. I was angry. And I said, well, Lord, if this is from you, you're going to have to show me because I don't trust anything that he has to say. And I learned that night, you got to be careful what you ask for. <laughs> so I go back. I get an opportunity to go back home, go back to Jersey. Uh, I'm at my brother's place. My, my, my dad walks in. And I remember, uh, first of all, being shocked at how he looked. He had lost about half of his body weight because uh, he had prostate cancer. Uh, and, and it was very awkward. And I remember thinking I, thinking I wanted to hear, I'm sorry, son, for what happened back then. I'm sorry for, you know. But instead, he's telling me about the person that he is now. So the Lord taught me a big lesson that night. He said, look, you know what happened back then, and he knows what happened back then. There's nothing either one of you can do to change it. So deal with the person I have in front of you now. So my father's, of course, he's still a professional singer. He said, I'm singing, Sonia. I got a new song. You want to hear it? Okay, Pop, sure. So he puts on the, uh, the, the, the music track, and he starts to sing. And here are the, some of the lyrics. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. My eyes are wide open, yet I fail to see. Lord, I beg you, please have mercy. I'm so sorry. Lord, forgive me. I love you. I want to live a life that's honest and true. I can't go on living this life without you. Lord Jesus, I beg you, have mercy. So as he's singing this song, I'm saying to myself, you can't fake this. And so when he finished singing, I don't know what possessed me to do this, I walked up into his face and I said this. I'm going to ask you a question right now. If you have ever loved me even once as your son, don't lie to me. If you're going to lie, then say nothing. What happened to you? All this Jesus and mercy. Had I not been standing in that man's face to hear what came out of his mouth next, I wouldn't have believed it. This unbaptized Pagan who never went to mass, who, who only used the Lord's name in vain, who destroyed our family. 
looked me in the face and said, in all seriousness, the blessed mother and divine mercy. And I was stunned. I literally could not speak. I didn't even know he knew what that was. The blessed mother and divine mercy. So I go back home and my mom is living with us. By this time, my mom had gotten ill. She needed to live in assisted living community. Uh, when that didn't work out, uh, we moved her out to Oregon to live with us for the last three years of her life. And she says, is it real, son? I said, mom, you can't fake what I saw. And so now the, the, a few months later, my father decides he wants to come to Oregon uh, to meet his grandkids for the first time. <laughs> so remember, he's never met my wife or kids. So and I told you before that I told him the kids that, that he was dead. So uh, <laughs> so how do you undo? You know, I said, well, Jesus rose the dead. Remember Lazarus, you know, and and that's one of the big mistakes I made in my life. Uh, I considered my father dead and I forgot that Jesus raised the dead. Now, I'll never make that mistake again. And you may have someone in your life that you feel is dead, that you feel you have no chance of reconciling with ever. And I'm here to tell you the power of Jesus Christ is more powerful than any separation, any sin, any division that you can experience in your life. God's love is real. So my father comes and meets his grandkids for the first time. Uh, he during that so many things happened during that week. I just want to hit a couple of highlights. He went to a men's conference in Portland, the Catholic men's conference. Never been to anything Catholic before. One of the speakers was Father Donald Calloway, who told his conversion story. My father was enraptured. His father Calloway. If you're not familiar with him, please Google him. Amazing conversion story. So as he's telling his story, my father leans over to me. He says, that guy's a priest? I said, yeah, Pop. And he's hearing more of Father Callaway's story. He leans over. He's worse than me. I said, I don't know what to tell you, Pop, you know. And then when Father Callaway got to the point about the, the key to his conversion was the Blessed Mother, my father got excited. He goes, he grabs my arm. He goes, shakes me. He goes, Mary. He said, he had something with Mary. I said, yeah, Papa, that's, you know. And, and so immediately I, I introduced Father Cal and my dad. My dad was so excited. And they both, those two guys hit it off uh, very well. So my father had a very positive experience. The other thing that happened was uh, he went to see my mom. Uh, my mom was living with us, but she had some, uh, some physical setbacks. We couldn't take care of her at home. She was a convalescent home. And so we went to see her and... and uh, the beautiful thing is they, they reconciled that night. My father went in, sat on the edge of the bed. He grabbed her hand. He uh, said, hi, Eleanor. And I, I left the room because that's between a husband and wife ain't my business. So they're talking and, and I'm outside the door with the door closed. I don't know what they're saying. And uh, half an hour later, my father comes out and he said, OK, son, let's go. So I go in and I said, I kissed my mom goodbye. She goes, who was that? <laughs> I said, I know. I said, I'm getting used to this too. You know, and, and my mom died uh, four months to the day, uh, almost to the hour that my father last saw her. You know, my mother never told me what they talked about. And it really is none of my business. That's between a, a husband and a wife. But she, all she told me was that her prayer was answered. They were reconciled. I said, what do you mean your prayer was answered? Here's what she told me. She told me, she said, remember that day when you left to go to, to, to move to, to out west 
and I told you to pray for your father? I said, yeah, I remember. I told you no. And she said, starting on that day, I prayed a rosary a day that we would be reconciled before I die. I said, wait a minute. You prayed a rosary every single day? I said, I'm thinking to myself, what happened when you got to year 10? Year 15, every day, 365, you're praying a rosary to be reconciled. And remember, I thought I considered him dead. I never thought they would reconcile at all. But look at the faith of my mom. Look at the faith of Monica, St. Monica for St. Augustine. Huh? Mom, I, I thought I had faith. I didn't, ha I didn't have faith like that. Did not have faith like that. My father today now is, uh, he's, he loves Jesus, on fire for Jesus Christ. And even during the, the, the subsequent times that we spent together, I asked my father for forgiveness for what I felt toward him for all those years. I asked him for forgiveness, to forgive me for how I felt toward him. God is incredible. So my brothers and sisters of Christ, I hope that through this story that, you know, I maybe gave you some glimmers of hope about the, the sermon of God's will, how you go about doing that, how when you say yes to God, how God can have awesome power in your life. And I hope that the stories about the power of prayer and about the power of forgiveness and healing will give hope to you and your family situation. Thank you so much for allowing me to be part of your life. And I cannot thank you enough for your prayers and your support for me and my family. And I promise my prayers and support for you. Thank you so much for being with me today. Take care and God bless you. We hope you have enjoyed this presentation brought to you by Perusia Media. Perusia Media is an Australian-based media company bringing you good, wholesome Catholic formation material in DVD, CD, and book formats. Visit our website at www.perusiamedia.com. That's www.perousiamedia.com. Thank you for listening, and may God richly bless you and your family.